0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com, and with me again today is J.J. Yeager from The Next Reel. Hi! On today's show, we are talking about Minute 23. This minute starts with the mysterious Raza gazing on the proceedings down below and ends with Tony kicking things into high gear. So this minute is the one we were talking a little bit about this shot of Raza. At the very beginning of this minute, we do have that shot of Raza surrounded by some of his men standing off in the distance watching the goings on down below. Heavily armed, heavily armed men. As we said in the last minute, this was the trigger that caused Tony to kind of give up hope, I guess you could say, to say no he won't. As in, you know, he's not going right. to let me go. Um, as opposed to Abu. And it's interesting because the way this plays out, even in the shot, it's not like Robert Downey Jr. changes his eye line or anything. Like, he's clearly just looking into Abu's eyes, shaking his hand. It was for the audience in the movie, for sure. Yeah, it's purely for the audience just to say, ooh, there's the mysterious leader of the terrorists standing on a hill in the distance. It's an interesting moment. And like you said last time, why do they choose to do this with Raza? They kind of make him this extra mysterious figure we don't get him introducing himself to the characters for quite a while right now it's just been this uh, character in the distance other than the the moment toward the beginning right before we get the title when he's the one who's reading the the ransom note on the video right right yeah i actually forgot
1: about that aspect of it but
0: yeah he's it seems
1: like he they wanted him to be something more significant in the first third of this film for the first act but it didn't play out that way and it didn't really need to so I think some of the stuff is left over about
0: Raza's significance and it's interesting because for people who are fans of the comic books we have not actually said ten rings in the film yet but in that video that we see earlier in the film we do see that flag with the ten rings behind the terrorists as they are reading the ransom note for Tony and that Perhaps signal to anyone who knew the story that oh maybe this guy is is the Mandarin, oh. and I wonder if that was something that they were wanting people to kind not of think about.
1: Even make that connection. That's that's a could be a big thing. And again, you know this movie. Maybe you can say more to Feige's influence at this point. I don't think this being the first of the MCU films, I don't know if they already had a plan for what they were going what they end up doing with the, the Mandarin in a later Iron Man movie or, or have a plan to weave this into the entire MCU at this point. Uh, of course they do with the, with the, the post credit scene, which, you know, this kind of stuff, but I don't know if the idea for the Mandarin had been completely conceptualized yet. Maybe they had different ideas and they changed later
0: on. The Mandarin was originally going to be the villain of the film. See, there we go. Like that's, yeah, yeah. in the early drafts, it was the Mandarin. And then they switched it to uh, uh, the Crimson Dynamo. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And then, and they started actually working on the costumes for the Crimson Dynamo, I believe. And then it switched over to Stain. Sure. And I think that all happened largely because the casting of Jeff Bridges. Yeah.
1: Well, and that makes, and I think it's I think it's the right decision. I mean, this film ends up being a really sort of nice thing to put together. The Mandarin, I think that makes for a pretty complicated story, especially if we're talking about Iron Man being an origin story or the first film here in the MCU. I think having the Mandarin come in, you need much more story to explain where he's from, whereas it just kind of rolls in very well with what they do with Stain. I think it's well-written where they go, I don't know what they would have done to make, raza the mandarin and the 10 i think that would have been difficult seeing what they have here
0: well especially because the way the 10 rings actually were in the comic books where it's like the mandarin wore these rings on his 10 fingers yeah. these magic rings from this alien race and it just i think that would have almost been too much of a stretch oh, it's, it would have been how do you explain it yeah I, yeah it's so it, it, it is really comic booky right Right, and really
1: works well. <laughs> you, you tend to love it. I mean, they, they would do these sort of encyclopedias of the Marvel Universe where they would have two pages or like a full spread on the Mandarin, and then you do each of the rings and all this. Stuff. Like, it really works in book form in a way that you're not going to be able to do in the, the time you have in a movie.
0: It's so interesting. The rings were from the Makluan race, which was like... I'm familiar with that. Yeah, it's a race of dragon-like aliens, and it was their technology that they used to power a ship that the Mandarin had found crashed, and each of these rings somehow they they turned their wearer into kind of a superhuman person, and the hands of the Mandarin kind of become dragon-like, and he's very linked to them. And I don't even remember what all the rings were. There was like a. Do you want to go through them um, all?
1: Like white light. Flames, Electro, uh, they have a Matter Rearranger, a Vortex. I mean, th- that's the thing. Like, it, how would you do it in a movie? Yeah, right. you have 10 different... It, 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 they have enough trouble when they get to the six Infinity Stones later on, <laughs> right. figuring out what each of those stones do. If you have 10 different rings that you're going to try to explore without the mystery of what they are, I mean, it's, yeah, there's a whole lot that you can do with that.
0: Well, and that was even my sense of the comic books. I mean, I haven't read a lot of them yet with the Mandarin. I'm kind of saving that whole chunk of Iron Man reading before I get to Iron Man 3. Makes sense. But they are, um, even in the comic books, when, when the two of them run into each other, it always seemed like the the Mandarin would use one ring or two rings or a couple, but never would he find a way to put all ten into use in a comic because it just right. it gets to a point where it's just kind of silly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm yeah, going it, to spin you. now. <laughs> well, and the
1: irony of that, and I think the reason why he makes for a great nemesis for Iron Man is that Iron Man has that sort of capability as well. Of course, it's not, you know, crystallized to the fact of 10 different rings, but we notice this over the evolution of the Iron Man movies that he keeps adding new toys all the time and they do all different kinds of things. You know, you have your repulsor blast or you have your tiny little thing that's going to stick on somebody and blow up or eventually we get to, I don't remember which Iron Man it is, but we can create an entire suit out of a briefcase, you know, these kind
0: of things. So right, right.
1: It's, it, the, it's a great nemesis relationship between the two of them, but, it, you know, you want to give the advantage to your protagonist in this case, I think.
0: Yeah, I think it could end up uh, hurting the story if you kind of decided to, to go that route. Agreed. And
1: is it a ripoff of Tolkien? Is that, I mean, probably not. I mean, it, I don't think it's a direct.
0: No, I mean, I know you, you have the different rings of the races there. I, you know, that's interesting. I'd never actually thought about that, but I suppose it could have been something that they were playing around with loosely. Yeah, I never felt like because it's just like ten rings that one guy was wearing. I never felt it was that much of a ripoff because it was like you know the elves had three because three different people wore them. You know, I didn't really, I guess I didn't really right. think of it that way, but they are power rings though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a, there's
1: a similar thing
0: there for sure. Right, right. Um, we do have uh, we've mentioned it before, but Ferranta here, he is playing Raza. The one up on the hill. Um, surrounding him, we've got John Braver, who's the uncredited uh, uh, fighter, but he is he's credited as utility stunts. He's standing screen right. Damian Moreno uh, is in the same boat, also uncredited as a fighter, but he is also u- utility stunts, and he's uh, standing immediately screen left. And I, you know, I could not for the life of me figure out who is far screen left. This is going to hold true through a lot of the scenes that we have here with the terrorists. A lot of these actors who are in here aren't necessarily credited as actors playing these terrorists. They are mostly credited as utility stunts because when you're going to shoot uh, stunt scenes, you're going to end up casting um, these utility stunt people to come on board as the actors slash stuntmen. It's pretty interesting, and it's something that, you know, I don't know why I never completely put two and two together with that, but it makes perfect sense. I'm like, of course they're going to do that. So, and I've worked with Ferrante here before. He's
1: a fantastically nice human being. When I shot for American Crime in Austin I flew down there and we flew down there for the same episode and so we rode the the shuttle back before we shot uh season 2 episode 5 so he was involved with American Crime on uh ABC in, in a bunch of anthology film and it just a fantastically nice human being we talked for a, a good amount of time and he was a really interesting character in that series too so a uh, really great guy uh, you, Talking about the other characters that you see there, again, he's one of those types of actors too, where if you look at his IMDb, it's loaded with credits and you're going to see that face and you're going to say, hey, do I know that guy? Um, And and that's why he makes for such a great character actor in this kind of stuff.
0: He's one of those faces. And again, we're not getting a lot of him here. So I want to hold out. Talking a lot about him until he actually starts talking because, sure, sure. you know, he's just not doing much. But, yeah, he's he he does well. well I have to get in my mysterious thing because I guy. don't know if I'll be on that minute. <laughs> no, I, I'm glad you did. I, I didn't know that you had worked with him before and, and had yeah. uh, gotten to chat with him. So,
1: yeah, I think he played. So he was in uh, in the American Crime Series where they were talking about private schools in I think it was in Ohio, even though we were shooting in Austin. And he played, I think, a local investor that was a big, you know, he was a big supporter of the school, this private school and stuff like this. He played a, a big money guy in town. Interesting. Okay, cool.
0: He is one of those guys that does get a lot of work. You look at what he's doing on on IMDB and he's, I mean, they have him listed here with 84 credits, including some that he's currently working on. Not to mention some uh, some executive producer work. So, that's nice. pretty nice to see. Yeah,
1: he was obsessed with the stuff we were talking about from a flying camera pr- perspective because this was in 2016, I want to say, 2016 or 2017 when we when we worked together. And he was really uh, interested in the advent of drones. And uh, w- he was living in San Diego at the time and, and thinking about what could be done with drones and all this kind of stuff. Because we were, of course, shooting a flying camera scene within a theater. Um, and it, conceptually, it, it didn't work at the time for something with a drone shot. But, you know, that kind of technology is improving all the time. And it's only a matter of time before that becomes not necessarily a standard, but definitely an alternative to shooting these kind of things, um, creative shots as we go forward.
0: And just to clarify, when you say flying camera for our listeners, what are you talking about? So
1: flying camera, that's
0: kind of the bulk of camera work that I've
1: done in my career. Flying camera is any sort of camera that is, uh, I guess, I I consider it hoisted off the ground by, by some means other than a traditional tripod or something that's locked down. So it's motion control camera work that is a camera that's up in the air. For this particular shot, it was suspended from cables moving around a theater and up to a stage and around dancers and all that kind of stuff. But it also can be considered any sort of camera that's on a rig for a plane or a helicopter or a blimp or that kind of stuff. And that's, that's kind of the world of camera work that I come from.
0: So this scene goes to a, a pretty nice moment between Tony and Yinsen back in the cave, where Tony, this is kind of a a low point, an early low point in the film that we have for him. But we get to see his transition that really is kind of the thing that's going to take us out of act one and into act two of our script, where Tony is pretty much giving up on everything. And he's just like, what's the point? And he has that great conversation with Yinsen, where Yinsen is like, oh, this is Going to be a very important week for you, isn't it? Yeah. As yeah. as he starts realizing that there's more to do than just letting them either make him build the Jericho missile that they want, or just waiting it out and dying in a week. So it's uh it's interesting, and I love watching it play out across uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s face.
1: Yeah, it's great. And the thing that I love about in this minute specifically is the idea of time. Not necessarily having a sense of time, right? We start the scene during the day, we end, we we then go to the evening, and then it, moving from this great conversation that's wonderfully uh, delivered by both these these actors, we then immediately move into what feels like potentially the next morning, but we have no sense of time through that, and it's not necessary one hundred percent to know, but we get the emotional passage of time for for the Tony character here, and I think it's done really well in this sort of little conversation that they have here. I imagine it to be. He arrives during the day, they have their moment at night, and immediately, he's, because of this, whether it's a pep talk or however you want to describe it, he's turning around, and then at the end of this minute, you get, all of a sudden, it's all, Tony's all business, and just go for it. Like, he's that quick to strategy, and I
0: think, I don't know, I think it's delivered really, really well for this film. It's funny that you say that it's night, because there's really no... No clear. No way to know, right? You know, they're they're in a cave, it, it, but it could be it could be five minutes later after he's back at the cave. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's really a quick to strategy,
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> but funny. but you're right. It's emotional. It is like the way you described that, where it's like this emotional night, where it's like this emotional. Downpoint down point before the next day, kind of the rebirth of this decision that he has to make something happen, even if we don't know what it is. Yeah, And I think that's an interesting way that this plays out because we don't even know what it is. You know, we had yeah. these little flashes of Tony having visions, it seemed like, of something when they're torturing him and dunking his head under the water, but we Ugh. don't really know what is in his mind. All we know at this point is he's kind of made a decision to do something, and I think that is a really nice moment as it plays out. And I love watching Yinsen's face as he's he's talking to Tony and kind of giving him that pep talk. I think it's a nicely performed scene. Yeah, it's great. One little uh, note here, which I thought was funny. In the script, it says Tony is sitting in a wheelbarrow, and lo and behold— if you, if you look at the scene, it's like, you know what? I think he actually is sitting in a wheelbarrow. He's sitting on, it's kind of propped up and he's just sitting in the, the end of it. Cause you know, they're in this cave room and they don't really have furniture and here he is. And I, I think you can see the curve of it behind him. I'm like, oh my goodness. But why? He actually is, cause they're in a cave. I know, but why?
1: <laughs> I guess there's no other seats. I mean, but it seems really yeah. weird that that's in the script. Tony's sitting in a wheelbarrow. Right. As I opposed know. to it's on a so rock. funny. You know, I mean, I don't know. It's just, yeah. I yeah. wonder why. What's what's what was the idea behind the wheelbarrow yeah. that's back there? And did they say? <laughs> sw- did they go to props and go, "Hey, this is really important for this minute." I need a wheelbarrow. (laughs) I need you to construct a wheelbarrow that's been in the hills of Afghanistan for since the 80s and just put a little Stark Industries stamp on the the side
0: of it. No, I don't know. I just, that's really interesting. Stark branded wheelbarrow. (laughs) It's a funny little uh, thing that they, that they add on there. It says dark. Tony sits in a wheelbarrow by the furnace wrapped in an army surplus blanket. The looms over him. It's like all right there. I don't, right. know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> script supervisor. That's that's what
1: paid paid the salary for the script supervisor on that day.
0: Uh, yeah, it's a, it, but it's, it is a good minute. It's a great transition. And then we get to the end of it where we get to see some of the work starting. But I think we can probably talk about that when we jump back in tomorrow. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. All right, everybody. Well, that's going to be it for uh, today's uh, show. Thanks again for tuning in. Again, JJ, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Where can people find you again online?
1: Go find us at thenextreel.com. We've got all of our shows over there. The one that I host every month is the film board where we're doing a show that's just out in theaters and we spoil it for you right away. So um, yeah, that's, that's the one that I'm always on. And
0: then there's a couple others that I guest on just like this. Awesome. Well, make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Real. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Real. Until next time, true believers.